Last week, on episode 11, we explored the best strategy for startups who want to take their B2B business abroad. In this week's episode of FinTech Flow, we again dive into international business development, but this time from a B2C point of view. If you stay with us, you can expect some insights into one of the few Hungarian fintech startups that were brave enough to dream big and follow a global B2C strategy. The guys will give you some spot-on tips and advice that could help build your own startup. They will also open up about some emotionally difficult situations through their journey and share their success stories and some failures as well, for example how they almost destroyed everything with a tweet. Welcome to Fintech Flow, where we deep dive into the depth and complexity of successful startups, sit down with bright fintech minds and bridge together the gap in mindset between the legacy players and today's innovators. With 10 years experience as a manager in the financial sector, MIT certified fintech expert Linda Schalai is prepared to put it all in play and to follow the flow. I'm super excited to have two friends of mine on the show, the founders of Broker Chooser, Mizu and Korposh. I promise I will do my best to call them on their name, even though I never did that in the last 15 years. So today's guests are Tibor Bedő, CEO, and Gergely Korposh, CPO of Broker Chooser. After working 10 plus years at different financial institutions and big consultancy companies, Tibi and Gergő founded their own fintech company three years ago. Broker Chooser helps independent investors and traders to find the online broker best suiting their needs. Broker Chooser stands out from many startups in the Hungarian landscape in the sense of going global since the very beginning and having a B2C business model. That is why I found Gergő and Tibi the most authentic source for our topic today. Guys, welcome to Fintech Flow. Thanks. Hi, Lita. Thanks for having us. Let's uh, follow the flow. <laughs> yeah, nice to be here. Yeah, let's do that. Could you tell a bit more about how Broker Chooser works? What's its value proposition? Sure. Practically, we are an online broker comparison tool, which means if you're a retail investor, you come to Broker Chooser. We ask a couple of questions. Uh, you answer these questions about your financial situation. Based on your answers, uh, we're going to recommend you um, two brokers. You select which one is the best fit for you. Uh, you go to the broker, you open an account, and broker chooser receives money. So this is also the value proposition and also the business model in uh, two sentences. Yeah, sounds really great and easy. And to be honest, I tried it myself and it is easy to go and open an account. So well done and congrats for that. Let's talk a little bit about this global expansion. Last week, my guest Barnabas Malnai referred to Dave McClure, the founder of 500 Startups, who suggests that you should first figure out your product market fit, find the business model that can best work with that product, and only after that expand internationally. Was that the strategy you followed with Broker Chooser as well? Not really. I think what is, um, what is important here is uh, uh, when you think about product market fit, whether your local market is the same as global market. And this is exactly what can go wrong if you find the product market fit on a local market and you're trying to expand this, but the global market is vastly different than your local market, then your product, which you kind of like set to the local market, not going to be successful on the global market. 
This doesn't mean that um, you can't do experimentation in the local market, um, but I would uh, very much recommend to everyone to do this as quickly as possible. Uh, practically what we did is that our first mini, mini, mini product was an Excel sheet where each of the brokers were one column and the different characteristics of the broker were one line on the Excel sheet. And we started to show this Excel table to um, girls and guys who we knew are trading. And obviously your network is more or less local. So you're gonna be in interaction with people who are your friends or friends of friends. So your first impression is gonna be local. And also when you are testing uh, your business model, uh, sometimes it's easier to do this on the local market. So what this means, what this meant with Broker Chooser is that first we did a Hungarian page where we had uh, two Hungarian brokers on the page and uh, two international brokers. And uh, we went to these Hungarian brokers and started to negotiate a deal. And we wanted to test whether they would be open to pay us money when we send a visitor a lead. Um, and this was basically to test our business model. And once that was also successful, and also the feedbacks from the customers were more or less like, okay, this is interesting. Uh, then we closed the Hungarian page and we built the English page um, after that. And this whole experimentation took roughly five, six months. So that's the time frame we are talking about. If you're entangled into two, three years local business development, um, I think you're really going to tailor your product uh, to the local market. And when you go global, uh, you will have completely different uh, feedbacks from, uh, from, from players on the global market uh, from day one. Yeah, so I think uh, that's right. It's very important to find your product market fit and, and test your business strategy uh, first. And and the best is to do on your target market, uh, whether it is local or global, doesn't matter. But uh, uh, luckily we were in that sweet spot uh, that our target audience is quite similar in the UK or in Hungary or in the US because the online brokerage and the online broker account and the whole industry, retail industry is, is uh, quite homogeneous. So we said, okay, it, it, it makes sense to test the whole thing in Hungary and after that go for other markets as well because the crowd is, is more or less similar. This, yeah, this was fortunate for us, but obviously you cannot do this, for example, with a, with a health insurance product because uh, the market is quite different in each, in, in each country. Both of you were uh, talking about local and global. So does it mean that we can say there is a global market and it's not much differentiation needed between country by country or region by region? We have one, one global product and and this works fine for us i mean uh, we have visitors from more than 200 countries so, so basically from all over the world wow. this means that the, this audience the, these visitors we are targeting they like to use the same product this doesn't mean that we we cannot localize the product and cannot tailor make it for for the german client for for the uk client but in our stage which is still the early stage. It's better to go with a global product because 
localizing and tailor making it for, for all countries uh, needs a lot of energy, time, money, and so on. And and we are not yet there, basically. And did you know it at the very beginning when you started it that okay, this is the product actually that can be quite homogenic all around the world. So we're gonna go for it, and we're gonna go for it globally, not even maybe focusing on different countries or regions. Did you know it that it will work? Obviously not. What was uh, pretty clear, like, like everybody uh, says, this is that you need to start with a niche and expand from the niche. But I think that's exactly the point. Like, how do you cut your niche? And and when you think like, okay, my first niche is gonna be just my local city. Uh, that's one kind of cut how to how to serve your niche and in our case we were like yeah we could we could start to do it and develop the business locally and we started to also brainstorm what other kind of niche cuts would make sense and uh, for us one of this niche was the customer attitude and then we were saying okay those guys who would like to invest by themselves these are the guys who know everything better like don't tell me what I should do. Uh, I'm going to choose what my investment is. They also speak English, financially educated, educated in general. And uh, we thought that these guys from Lisbon to Oslo, they, they're really, really similar. But this happened in um, in uh, Milanadish Park. So basically a park and we were sitting outside at a, at a bench, at a table. And uh, we had a whiteboard, so we were already professional in that <laughs> sense. And on the whiteboard, we had a couple of drawings like, okay, you could cut this way and you could cut that way. And then it was like, yeah, it probably makes sense that these guys are similar in different countries. And uh, yeah, it does make sense that they speak English. Would it work if we would start to serve them with one product? And then after that, you, of course, you ask other people, what do you think about it? And then uh, a couple of people say like, you're a complete idiot. Don't, don't do it. Other people like, this is the best idea I've ever heard. And then you're like, okay, fine. I'm not much closer to the solution. So there's only one way to do it. You test it, right? So this is why we started to roll it out, targeting to one customer attitude niche. And this is how we started to grow globally. And um, the first thing which we observed is that the, the visitor shares of different countries varied and uh, there were basically almost the same as the population share. So there were more people from the UK, Germany, France, Italy, and Poland. So the bigger countries and Spain, and there were less people from, uh, from Czech Republic and Switzerland. So that's like, hmm, okay. So this seems like it, it works. And after that, we experienced that the English speaking countries are growing better than non-English speaking countries. So now we have, we have a little bit of overrate. Uh, with English-speaking countries, but still we're talking about 15% is traffic from the UK and 8% from this traffic is, is from Germany. So still there's a difference, but still population doesn't matter. So yeah, I think what what was interesting in this whole story was that we had we had the idea from the from the beginning that uh, basically this is a global market, but it's not it's not working like a global market. So usually, if you take a look at at one country, the the most successful brokers are local brokers serving only those countries living in that country. For example, uh, in Germany, the most successful 
uh, broker is Comdirect. And uh, at Comdirect, usually only German people open an account. Okay, but but since the whole capital market concept is global, so, and so meaning that if you are in Hungary, you can still invest in the UK, in the US market, in Japan, and so on. Why shouldn't it be the whole online brokerage market global? And we said, yeah, this this should be global. And why not to test our product in a global scale? And all of our competitors and and all of our uh, let's say advisors they said that uh, maybe this is not a good idea because this product is not, is not existing and it not it is not existing for a reason and they said it's not gonna work but uh, <laughs> if you really want to uh, dream big and want to to build a, a global product you have to test it and. So far, it seems it's working, and, uh, and I think also when we when we explain the whole idea for for our competitors of our partners, sometimes they just don't understand why we are doing it because they are saying that no, 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 this is local, local, or no, 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 we cannot mix up this uh, a type of brokers with B type of brokers, and we say that okay, but the customer doesn't care. Uh, the customer wants the best broker and she doesn't care whether it comes from the UK or German or US or whether it's stockbroker or CFD broker. The customer wants to invest or wants to trade and wants to, and, and she wants to do it with the best broker at the lowest price, getting the best service. And that's, that's what it, what matters. To be honest, I also don't understand something. Let's go back three years. You both have decent jobs at great companies. Then you have an idea that actually from a small C country like Hungary, you can easily go global B2C. Yeah, that's feasible. That's one saying you say. But besides that, as you're mentioning, you are there to tear down also a cultural wall in a way that actually it's not in the trading culture to trade with brokers abroad. So yeah, putting these two next to each other how were you this brave to start it all? I think there are a couple of things which helped. So one is our background. So uh, we worked abroad. Uh, we saw that people who are working in London or in New York, they are also smart, but it's not like there's only Einstein's going on on Wall Street. And the second is, uh, I would say, it's the price. So what you can win on the global market is completely different what you can win on the local market and the startup business is uh, relatively simple there's huge risk for failure uh, there's high chance uh, that you're not going to succeed as there's a very low chance uh, that you're going to succeed and if you cap your low chance win your expected return it's going to be really really low so uh, because of that it only makes sense if you dream big. So if you think like, okay, we do believe that that we can roll this out, we can go step by step. But at the end of the day, on the on the certified column of the Excel sheet in your financial uh, plan, there needs to be a really, really big number. And a really, really big number only comes uh, if you're tapping into a large volume with a large wallet. 
Okay, uh, really inspiring. So if there are listeners out there having an idea that other people, experts say it's not a good idea, that's not how it works, don't do it, guys. What would be your suggestions? What were the main challenges you need to face at the beginning? And what were the maybe the most important strategic questions that you needed to consider before launching? I think the most important is to... To test, first of all, your ideas somehow on, on low scale with, 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 with your limited resources. It's like when you go go camping and, and you have limited ingredients for a meal but still want to cook the best meal for your, I don't know, for your wife or your family. So you have to find out a way how to, to test your idea. So this is crucial and important and don't be scared about it. So if you have, uh, let's say, $1,000 one uh, for it, find a way how to test it with $1,000 first of all and after that uh, the second most important is to, to talk to to as many people as possible around you to people and experts who will know this uh, this industry and and can give you the best advice what 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 you can do uh, do there you uh, what are the circumstances uh, and and really try to understand the industry the people the needs your customer at the best and for this you have to really go out and 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 uh, talk to as many people as possible i think these are the most two crucial points test and and talk to people yeah yeah i would maybe add uh, one more thing to that and then this really rhymes to talk to as many people as possible is uh, don't get fooled about your preferences and your needs because the things you're building is basically your baby you kind of start to build your your product and your business model in a way that you like it. And that's uh, something which is really, really dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is why you need to talk with other people because you will be faced what other people think. And uh, you need to have empathy. So not just intelligence, but empathy to understand what other people want. And then this is how you can change your, your stuff. One of the barriers is also is that you need to let go if you if you stick to something which you think is good but the customers are saying it's not good so yeah one more advice so i just mentioned that you need to talk to people and that's right but also you have to listen basically to your instincts and that's for sure that that if you if you go out there and talk to your family members and talk to your friends and talk to your talk to some experts a lot of people will say that this is the the worst idea they have ever heard and and you are a complete idiot that you, uh, you want to give up your job or something like that and it's not gonna work and so on and uh, and uh, you really have to be persistent and and you have to make the first steps to take over these these ideas and these uh, these advices because you will you will hear a lot of these that don't do it don't do it it's not gonna work it's not gonna work and and this might be quite tough at the beginning well when you have tons of questions inside you and you st and you also get a lot of from the outside so that i think that's that's uh, yeah not so easy and what about looking at it from a little bit of a personal point of view because you too 
are and were great friends when you started Broker Chooser. And <laughs> I st- still are. <laughs> <laughs> we hopefully, hopefully you stay. It was uh, quite are. hard to, to sit at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so was it really hard to stay friends? No, my question is actually not that, but I think many people are in the situation and maybe they are thinking about an idea that could be a good idea for a startup and they are friends. And then there is this stereotype, don't mix friendship and business. And I guess it should not be easy. How about it? I would um, zoom out a bit. So I think having a co-founder or having a partner in a business is already hard. And uh, yes, there's this additional element if you do business with a friend. And I think that has its pros and cons. But what is tough is working together with other people and risking basically your financial situation, risking a couple of years from your career. So I think that's the element which is which I think is already hard and that's that's the harder part. And inside that, whether it's with a friend or with not a friend, that's that's kind of like an additional element. Now, why I think making business together with, with uh, Gergő does make sense, I would say as point number one is trust. And uh, if you already have the trust element in it, uh, that you can trust uh, your partner, there's tons of things which you can build on. And uh, I think that's a super, super crucial element. And if you find someone on AngelList and you start to do business together as as co-founders, it might work. But I would also say that there will be much more energy burned on, on building the trust and keeping the trust. Whereas if you have it because of previous personal relationships, and of course this trust stays and mutual, then I don't think there's anything which you which you can't solve business-wise or personal-wise. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I usually think about uh, having a co-founder as, as having like a marriage. <laughs> so, Thank so, you. <laughs> so obviously we are not the same and we somehow still have to work together and and uh, work together in the in a way where one plus one is is more than two so i think problem solving and and focusing on on on, on handling of a critical situation and, and critical areas of the of the relationship is very important and and yet yeah, trust uh, trust if trust comes with, with the friendship then it, it works to do it with a, with one of your friends because uh, it's still it's still not easy but i could imagine that without the trust how much uh, paperwork and legal documents it would be needed to just secure yourself the, with a, with a co-founder or with several co-founder partners so i think it would be insane for me especially this is a really interesting topic because when you start to dive into the internet and youtube and you start to read about how to do a startup, how to scale your business. There are tons of materials uh, describing how you should find product market fit, uh, how you should scale, how you should hire and this kind of stuff. And you find relatively few materials, how you can fix friction between co-founders. And on the other side, you check any kind of statistics, why, why startups fail. And in any statistics, in number three reason, there's among number three is that co-founder problems. So we kind of found with, with Gerger that uh, we were much more on our own when we needed to solve uh, co-founder problems. There was not like uh, opening up a book and then, hey, this is, uh, this, is how, this is what you can try. 
which is I think it's 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 super interesting. Why is that? Can we talk a little bit about numbers? So you left your job three years ago and started scaling on a global field pretty early on. Where are you standing in terms of numbers now? Yes, so we have something like uh, 50,000, 60,000 uh, monthly visitors right now. Basically, we, we doubled this number compared to, uh, uh, to last year. So in a year, you doubled the number of visitors? Yes. Wow, okay, congrats. Yeah, thank you. And something like 10% of these visitors are transferred to, to, to brokers, to brokers' websites. So basically... It's also a great conversion, really, yeah, it's, isn't it's it? Yeah, it's quite a good conversion which means that that our product is, is, is doing quite well. So this means that in a year we serve something like uh, half million customers who are trying to to find their best broker and and basically uh, uh, hopefully they, they do it uh, via our, our website. In terms of revenue, uh, what we did, uh, we started to generate revenue in the summer of 2017. And the last year, basically, we tripled our revenue. And what was really fun that at, and in 2017, we was very hardly looking for funding and we didn't expect to, to, receive, to start to generate any revenue. But uh, basically, we allocated some resources to, to get contracts with brokers because our business model is that we send customers to a broker and we receive basically a marketing fee for that uh, activity and since we started to send quality visitors to brokers they said and these are global names so they said that okay they are willing to to make a contract with them and, and we from nothing we started to generate revenue and since then we are still bootstrapping and basically the last one and a half years we stopped looking actively for funding and we concentrating only on acquisition and, and say a sense meaning uh, getting more and more contact to, with brokers and and so far this is working I think pretty well and and this is a huge success to be able to to, to bootstrap uh, for such a long time so uh, we absolutely amazed and, and happy with this you should be yeah you should be this is a real success story can you share maybe a story of a failure as well that happened with you the last three years and uh, maybe we can laugh at it or learn from it? Sure, there are tremendous no. stories. <laughs> no <laughs> there, failures. There are no failures. <laughs> yeah, um, so, um, of course you find dead ends everywhere when, when you when you um, pilot here and pilot there. But but maybe one of the one of the funny stories is that how fragile an early stage startup is. It's, it's kind of like a funny situation when uh, we had a tweet about comparing different brokers on a graph and there was an operational mistakes in, in our case, which put one of our broker partners on the graph at, uh, at, a, at a point where it seemed like they are not safe. And uh, this was the broker at that time generated the most revenue for us. <laughs> and this was like the tweet went out and uh, in a couple of hours we got phone calls uh, from their Hong Kong and from the London office too. Uh, like what's going on? <laughs> and, uh, and then that was like, you know, that's, that's when really shit hit the fan. Uh, <laughs> and we also 
try to look at it at a good angle. That okay, so if we tweet something and people from Hong Kong and London are calling, that's already something. Uh, <laughs> well, we already needed to to tell them something like, yeah, this is a problem, and this is because of marketing department they didn't do well. Well, the marketing department was obviously us, and the operational department was also us. So uh, we needed to take down the tweet and then uh, do some uh, discussion with them. Like, hey, this is uh, this wasn't well from us, but I think the the story here is that that uh, at that point of time was that time when both Gergo and myself gave wrote a check to build this business at the start, right? And we had a bit of runtime: how long can we can we go before we need to close down? And the first milestone was when the first revenue started to come in, so brokers started to pay. And then the second milestone was when we already was able to pay the staff from the revenue. And the third milestone was which where we are now is that we can also pay ourselves. And this story happened right after we just started to uh, generate revenue. So it was really, really at the beginning. And I think if if that uh, relationship with the specific broker would have uh, gone bad, then uh, probably broker chooser wouldn't exist now. So wow. it's super fragile at the beginning. That's the way to kill your business, which you built for one and a half year and worked perfectly yeah. so far. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Ah, great for, story. Thanks for sharing. For me, I think one of the other funniest stories that uh, this is a story about the failure of not knowing something and <laughs> obviously there are a lot of things you don't know but uh, but when you start uh, an online business uh, you should know the uh, uh, some some basic things about online marketing but we didn't because we come from the financial markets right so and uh, so we just basically created the product which was let's say it a, a nicely designed comparison table where you could compare all all the uploaded brokers or and you could have some information about one broker one by one but imagine this as a as basically a, a table with some a good 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 summary of the of the of the brokers in, in one table and basically we we put this out on the website and and wait we were waiting for customers, <laughs> and but the customers didn't come, and, and so we, so we thought, okay, something went wrong, and we just started to have some conversation with with good digital marketing experts, and uh, we realized that okay, but if you want if you want to really get ranked in Google and and get an organic traffic, you instead of putting out a table, you have to write articles with one thousand, two thousand words in order to google start to rank you and and at that point we realized that okay instead of a table we really have to write a, a let's call it long review about one broker to be able to to rank in google so so for me looking back and and at now knowing that how this whole digital marketing at search engine optimization world works it's it's very very funny that uh, that at that point we were just like in the middle of nowhere with, the, with this online marketing and we thought that okay we we just put out a, a, a composition table and that's all and, and people will come so so I think the the, the danger of not knowing something and, and, and the potential failure attached to that is it's quite huge and can create a lot of funny stories. 
Great. Thanks for sharing these stories and the story of Broker Chooser. So I'm going to try and wrap it up. So if you have an idea you believe in, let's do it. Dream big. Try and validate your idea with customers and also validate the idea with talking to experts uh, on the field or on other markets or on other fields and find a great co-founder. Trust is a very important issue amongst others. And yeah, don't yeah. fuck it up <laughs> in the middle with a tweet. Yeah, yeah. And listen and believe in yourself. Listen to yourself as well. That's very important. Okay, guys. Follow your instincts. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Linda. Linda. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode. Next week, Fintech Flow will take you to Finnovate, Europe's largest and most prestigious fintech conference. I will have two guests, both presenters of teams that won Best of Show Award. Follow Fintech Flow on Facebook as we are going to share some special content about Finnovate on our Facebook page. Just search on Facebook for Fintech Flow. It is written in one word. I also put the link in the show notes. So we are coming from Finnovate next Wednesday. Stay tuned and follow the flow.